the Trussex Wild Apothecary with me, Rox. Today's podcast, I am talking to Natasha Richardson of Forage Botanicals. If you enjoy the podcast, please like, share, rate and subscribe to them. And if you want to hear more about me and what I do, you can go to my website www.trustsexwildapothecary.com where I've got online courses in family foraging and herbs and um, medicine making and various other things. So today I'm talking to um, Natasha Richardson of Forage Botanicals and we're talking about um, her course that's coming up in the start of August that you can sign up for. This is her new book that's out, Your Period Handbook. I just thought I'd let you have a look at it. Um, it's basically talking about natural solutions for stress-free menstruation. And I just thought I'd give you a wee idea of what kind of things you cover in, in the book and what kind of things she covers in the course. So she's talking about the hormone cycle, explaining the hormones, how to keep track of your period. She mentions um, that you can do that. She doesn't go into too much detail about it, but she says how effective it is to help you deal and know what, where you are in your cycle. Um, she also talks about things like the hormone-free contraception options, and then she goes into more details about how stress affects periods. Um, and then she gives you a big section on the herbs and various herbal recipes that you can use and monographs about the different herbs. So there's a couple of bits that I quite liked at the beginning of her book, just to give you a wee sample. So one of the wee bits I'm going to read out to you, she says, the only reason you have to take a break in between the pill is because people who designed the pill in the 1960s thought that women would find it unacceptably unnatural to stop their periods altogether. So that's quite interesting how different our opinions are now compared to that of women in the 1960s. I thought that was quite an interesting point that I never knew about the pill. Another historical fact that she's talked about is a quote from Brandt in 1985. And it says, as late as the 1950s, men could get condoms on prescription to protect them from having prem premarital or extramarital affairs, but they couldn't request them to protect their wives from unwanted pregnancies. Which is quite interesting. It just shows you a sign of the times and what people thought was okay and acceptable. And my final little thing that I'm going to read out to you is that she says, in the early 20th century, it was illegal to even educate women about contraceptives. And famously, Margaret Sanger was jailed in 1916 for educating women about the diaphragm, which is completely ridiculous, obviously. So check out uh, Natasha Richardson's book, Your Period Handbook. It's published by Aeon Publishers. They, um, the Aeon books have lots of really good um, herbal medicine books in there, so you check them out as well. You can sign up for Natasha's course at Forage Botanicals, um, and it starts at the beginning of August. We talk more about that. Um, so I hope you enjoy the podcast. Maybe we could just start off with you talking about um, who you are, how you got into herbalism and antenatal and doula and working with women's yeah. health in general. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, um, I started studying as a herbalist like relatively young. It was my first degree. And I came to it during my gap year after finishing my A-levels and not knowing what I wanted to do. And um, my dad said to me, hey, why don't you just go try and get a job at Neil's Yard Remedies? I think that's the kind of place you'd like. And I was like, oh, okay. And I went and got a job there and uh, just as a shop assistant. And the fabulous thing about Neil's Yard Remedies at the time and still now, they um, invest really heavily in their staff in terms of training. Mm -hmm. And so I was taught about herbal medicine, homeopathy, flower remedies, nutrition, like everything that we sold in the, in the shop, we did like a day or two training on. So I got these mini introductions to all these different subjects and I just absolutely fell in love with herbs. I really liked that it was really hands-on. It was something that I could go and make myself. I didn't necessarily have to rely on buying it. Um, so it really appealed to me from an ecological standpoint as well as just that connection with nature that I'd always really wanted. Um, and so when I went on to study it, I decided to do a degree program at Lincoln University. It's now the same or similar program, but at the college instead. And it lasted three years when I was there full time. And I, just, I really enjoyed it. It was massively challenging. I'm pretty sure I would have said that I hated it at the time. I think that's like what you normally think when you're studying something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, it was just fascinating. And I found it really interesting that although we were taught a lot of our anatomy and physiology with the nurses that were at the university there, um, the nurses weren't taught anything about gynecology. And I found that really odd. And our training as herbalists, uh, it comes up a lot. We get a lot of women's health problems uh, because it's really massively underserved by like normal medicine. Um, we had to be taught it on the side. And I was like, this is so odd that like our normal healthcare professions, something so central to a woman's life is deemed as like an additional subject you don't really need to know about. That is really odd, especially if I'm presuming most of the nurses were women as well, were they? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I thought that was weird. And I don't know now if that is um, normal across the board or if that was just the case when I was there. Or, you know, I can't say this is like representative of the NHS as doctors as a whole. I have no idea. But I just thought it was strange at the time. And it's like spurred me on to be really interested in women's health and trained as, as a doula and um, now I have uh, products that I make rather than see patients. Okay yeah I was looking at your products they look really nice I like your anti-flow uh, it, <laughs> it looks nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I launched that just like last year it's a, it's a drinking chocolate that's raw cacao with nettle and raspberry leaf added into it and it's got a really earthy taste. I think you've got pretty hardcore if you have it just pure. Um, but I usually recommend people make it, uh, you know, with a nut milk or something and then add sweetener to whatever level they need. <laughs> and is that for, because um, you do a lot of work with the hormones, don't you? So is that for boosting iron levels and things? That yeah, so 
they're all quite rich in iron and the idea is that you boost your iron levels you're less likely to have a heavy period um it's a funny like feedback loop if you have a heavy period your iron levels tend to go down but by having low iron you tend to have a heavier period next time so it like feeds into itself uh so if you can boost your iron levels before the next period comes around you should be having a better period next time okay that's interesting and then uh, one of the other ones that particularly appealed to me as a mum was the rested resilience <laughs> yes <laughs> i had some just last night i've been really like uh living off tea and biscuits for a while and i just was like okay this has got to stop um so last night i had rested resilience instead because that is um an adaptogen ashwagandha but also with a lot of nerve irons it has oat tops hawthorn and then some uh chai spices to give it like a nicer taste um ashwagandha on itself by itself can be quite bitter um but with the spices and stuff and with the oats um it creates quite a nice latte i usually have people add it to like hot milk or you can just shove it into a smoothie you're having are you going to be doing because at the moment yeah i looks like your products and services are quite um specific towards periods and things like that so will yes. you be expanding your range now that you're a new mum <laughs> or a new yeah <laughs> i have always thought that it would be sort of um preemptive of me to create a range for mums before i was a mum myself I feel yeah. like i need to have the personal experiences to realize what the priorities would be for people <laughs> Yeah, I do have it in the back of my head. <laughs> I was reading your birth story actually, and it was really good because it really reminded me of my. Well, actually, it really reminded both of my birth stories stuck together. <laughs> ah, but, um, I think it like I don't know. It changes you. You think you have an idea beforehand, I think, and then it completely changes like during and after. <laughs> I don't know. If yeah, you the same thing. and each pregnancy is so different, even for the same person. It's mm -hmm. quite crazy how different the experience can be yeah did you do you actually do work as like a doula and antenatal as well i have never actually attended a birth as a doula i i had a funny story of getting very close to that um i had a patient once who i helped get pregnant and i had used to treat quite a lot of fertility cases actually and um she got pregnant whilst we were doing treatments and then she was like oh I'm a bit nervous about all of this because she had a really horrible first birth and she was like will you be my doula and I was like you realize that I've never attended a birth before this would be my very first one and I was like like that would be exciting and I would be honored to attend your birth so I said yes and spent like you spend a month on call basically you try and like time it so it's two weeks before they're due and you've got two weeks after potentially as well um and i was just absolutely a bag of nerves i went to bed every night and was like they're gonna call they could call any time it's more likely to happen at night and i was just like freaking out all the time i was like uh guys i don't think i should go into london because i need to be within like half an hour of this baby potentially being born and I just spent all this time just being really jittery. And one day I get a phone call from her and she's like, 
I'm really sorry, but we've had the baby. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I was like, what? She goes, oh yeah. So I had like a half an hour labor. I was like, you had a what? She goes, well, I uh, didn't realize that I was in like having contractions for days and then all of a sudden I just felt like I needed to push she was just in the hallway at home or something and they ended up having they got the paramedics arrived before a midwife did (laughs) because the 999 were just like okay we'll just send whoever we can (laughs) and like yeah from she pushed all of a sudden this baby was in the world Lucky her. <laughs> At least that was good for her for the second pregnancy. The second one. Yes, that was her second it. pregnancy. And it's called some. There's a specific word for when a labour is particularly short like that because it can be quite shocking for the system, mm-hmm. and it can be, um, it can have side effects for the baby. Usually, the the transition through the birth canal pushes a lot of the liquids out of the baby, and that's a good thing. And for it, when it's really quick, sometimes they have too much fluid on the lungs and stuff. That, that her baby was okay yeah they were all fine yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was just wondering because like if if your training had an effect on your birth like did it make it did it have any I don't know oh yeah I'm sure it would have done um I found that getting trained as a doula helped to normalize birth after you know our whole culture around birth is to see it as a medical phenomenon mm-hmm. um not as a not as natural as like going to have a pee like it, you know it's just a thing that our bodies can do like a sneeze <laughs> but bigger and um it, for me that was like the equivalent of a lot of women when they're once they're pregnant do um hypnobirthing training Mo- like I did a, just a taster day to a hypnobirthing course one and was like, oh, okay, this is everything that I was taught as a doula. Okay. <laughs> so I think that being trained as a doula informed my decisions going forwards, definitely, and made me read lots of books about different ways to give birth, like standing or seated or upside down or <laughs> in nature, in a hospital. Yeah. And so, um, I thought that that training was especially good for letting go of some sort of idealized birth um and that's why the decisions that I made were very fluid I was like I'm gonna start everyone was like you can have a home birth and I was like well I'm gonna start at home and I'm gonna stay at home for as long as I can yeah and just see how we go you kind of need to have that don't you along with your with your birth you if it's too rigid, it is. But I think you can't help. You do. You can't help having, you know, your wishes. Because I started off on home as well, and I was like, "This is what I want," and but I'll go with the flow. And I ended up in hospital. But you know, yeah, I knew that when that happened, that everything was gonna. All my control was gone. <laughs> but you know, that's how it happened. My baby came out fine, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah, it can be like that, and it can feel like. I think that's the one thing that I hope people do feel like they have it at the end of their birth is that they felt like they made decisions even if their decision was for somebody else to call the shots after a while yeah yeah how did you feel having a doula with you in your in your birth um I felt a bit 
awkward to begin with because basically I didn't really know the person and I didn't she was just like the best connection that I got out of a out of a bad bunch if that makes sense like they weren't they're not bad doulas that I interviewed just I didn't really click with anybody and there wasn't much option for my area but I knew that all the research says having a birth partner that's there throughout is going to improve your birth second um consequences um yeah the results of that birth so I knew it was really important and but I also knew that if I had somebody there who made me feel more awkward than comfortable would do the opposite Mm -hmm. um but so yeah sort of the beginning of the birth was about trying to see if I could get a good connection with this person and I knew that as I went along if I reached a point where I wanted her to leave then that then that's what I paid for I paid for this person to leave and like my husband Matthew was really supportive about that because I had a 24-hour period where I was like I really don't know if I'm gonna want this dude to even be there Matthew but I think we're gonna have to pay for her anyway and he was like that's okay like you have to be okay with that you might at some point be paying to dismiss somebody from a space but that's you're going to be all right to do that and I was like okay (laughs) that's good at least he was supportive with that (laughs) yeah but in the end I actually found that she really came into her own uh, really came into her own and even though we started on a little bit of uneasy ground I knew that at the end of the day she was gonna back me up with anything that I didn't have the energy to fight about and she was just like sensational she like massaged me for like 48 hours I don't know it was just like a marathon for this woman and she hadn't eaten and I just remember me being in like pain and exhaustion and her just like keep on massaging and I remember her in in my like foggy haze just saying can I have a coffee please I just remember smelling this coffee and being like god you poor woman (laughs) I know it must be pretty hard I know (laughs) yeah I can't like they've not got any of the the oxytocin or adrenaline (laughs) hormones pumping they're just uh, just like a normal human trying to (laughs) do a 48 hour shift (laughs) yeah (laughs) but um let's go back to the other your actual work so um you've got like a course coming up I think I saw is that right this I do um, yeah uh, so I actually haven't properly announced it yet but um (laughs) I've given it I've announced it to the newsletter um people already and they're already signing up um for these courses so I have a free hormone um, challenge coming up that's five days and it's just gonna be like a quick sprint of learning about um, what affects our hormones and how we can um, some really crucial things that we can do to improve them like learning how to chart and understanding how stress shows itself in our lifestyle and how we can ba- rebalance that so that's just gonna be like a quick five-day sprint in starting on the 20th of July and then at the beginning of August I'm starting my four-week peaceful period course which I haven't run live for probably four years 
and I've written a book since then and I've just crammed it with information and videos and content like it's it's two or three times bigger than it was when I originally ran it and I'm really looking forward to doing it. Do you think you could talk a bit more about that maybe about like how how stress does impact hormones things like that? Yeah so that book is a combination of me having been in practice for 10 years and uh, working with women about, about their hormones and although there is like probably as many period problems as there are women in the world the one thread that I could see that was so clearly linking everyone together was that stress in their life was affecting their hormones in ways that women were not connecting the dots on um, like although we do connect the dots with diet I think we really fall short on understanding the connection between how much we are working and are active in our lives and how much we need rest and how that affects and comes forwards in our periods. Because mm -hmm. a lot of the time it seems that there is a culture of ignoring your periods mm -hmm. and um, trying to pretend like they don't really happen and that they're no big deal. And as a result, I don't think we often consider that they are really a reflection of our overall health. So it's really easy to ignore that the things we do on a day-to-day -day basis contribute to the experience of a period. So the book really goes into noticing how those things affect our periods and why they affect them. And it talks about things like the progesterone steel, which is an explanation for how the adrenaline and cortisol produced in our stress response um, is taking away from our fertility essentially um, as a protective mechanism to stop us from getting pregnant in really highly stressful situations. Okay, okay. And the, th the thing you were saying about the um, people not not acknowledging their periods anymore, do you think that's kind of because I was reading on your blog about that you'd just written something about how periods in the 40s I think it was where yeah. they there were people to basically went like an illness and they took convalescence so it's almost like it's gone the opposite way right now now it's yeah. just going to battle through it <laughs> I do I think that is what has happened so during the Victorian era is we were told that periods well we were told that women were weaker than men as like a fundamental fact and that periods were an example of that weakness where we required rest in a you know once a month we needed to rest and convalesce um which i'm sure would have just been a, a, like a laughable luxury for the majority of people at the time but for the upper middle classes and the, the um, upper classes they would aspire to being comp convalescent during the time of their periods and that thought process has ripple effects even now to this day um even though we have since then realized that women aren't necessarily weaker than men and their periods don't hold them back and so in the 40s after the second world war where we redefined how we see women physically um we we're given this new message of periods don't hold you back, just ignore them because you can do everything that a man can do, including pretend that you don't have periods. <laughs> so, 
So um, even now to this day, we have small ripples of the, the idea that periods make us somehow weaker, but at the same time that periods are something we should be able to ignore and master and uh, like man up to almost. Um, so we have like two opposing viewpoints working against each other all the time mm -hmm. that I think actually end up making us be very extreme in our avoidance of periods potentially being a time where we could rest and could relax and we could have me time to um, indulge as people would say in relaxation. Yeah, but then people don't want to feel that they're ill, <laughs> do they? Because they've got yeah, that exactly. They don't want practice. to appear yeah. weak or ill. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so there's a big, um, I think there could be a big revolution in workplaces in particular for people to um, be re-educated that it's okay to take time to rest when you need to. If we had more flexible workplace mm -hmm. um, and that could be, something that is essentially being forced into action as a result of covid yeah yeah i have noticed people seem to be working at various different hours which i think is a good thing because yeah. it's it around your life but it doesn't mean people are doing any less work no exactly and um it yeah i think it is interesting and also like oh how do we measure productivity is it the amount of hours that you're at work or the amount of work that you get done within those hours and if somebody is more productive between 9 and 10 p.m at night then good for them if somebody else is more productive between 1 and 2 p.m great like i think it's really stupid to expect everybody to um work at nine to five and be as productive through every hour of that day yeah, most people just end up sitting around doing nothing, pretending that they're doing stuff. That's what I remember from the <laughs> few times that I worked in an office anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and those last couple hours on a Friday, you might as well just send your staff home at 3pm, yeah. let's face it. It's also, I suppose, the fact of thing that you're, I mean, women themselves need to realise that, you know, it's okay to have rest it's okay to do things and you're not you're not a weaker person because of that and i think it's that's where your course comes in talking about like slow living and teaching yeah that. yeah so my course um originally started as trying to really break down the stigma around pms um and teaching people that the premenstrual phase was a time for rest and that we'd lost connection with that and because we were trying to just like carry on as normal that that ends up creating a lot of the health problems and schisms and stresses that we feel during the premenstrual phase and now it the course has like evolved into like every problem you could possibly have during your period I offer herbal advice for and I teach how to chart um in the most detailed way which is called the fertility awareness method um which can be used as a contraceptive if it's used like without error then it's got like a 99.8 percent effectiveness rate it's like insane um but people do make errors of course and the more that you practice it the better you get um and it was something that i taught myself and used for 10 years to not get pregnant and then 
one year to get pregnant. <laughs> um, so it's really like includes everything on this course now. I even am adding material this time, um, right at the end of it for the perimenopause. So if anybody is questioning whether they're starting the menopause, then there'll be information there. And it, it's like, I'm hoping that it will help prepare younger women than ever before for that time because I think usually it just kind of comes upon you and you've heard about whispers about it and you've never yeah. really looked into it yeah yeah because you don't really hear a lot you don't really know a lot I mean I don't know a lot I mean I worked I actually worked in Neil's yard as well and a lot of people did come in asking about you know menopause and things like that yeah. it's a very big but I think that's why because there's a lot of people don't know about perimenopause and menopause you know yeah. it's all just like go take this drug and <laughs> go and go away <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And there's interesting history around HRT as well. Like it, HRT as a therapy started to be offered once we defined the menopause as a... It's like another illness period, isn't it? It's like the opposite. Yeah, they like started to see it as like an estrogen deficit. Yeah. And they were like, oh, women don't have enough estrogen during this time, so we'll just have to give them some more estrogen yeah just another medicalization of women's bodies basically <laughs> yeah as i say it's probably because the men are doing a lot of the things yeah and you talk about uh, fibroids and things like that in your course as well yeah so <laughs> i've added um I have additional bonus information for people who want to do it, who have fibroids and endometriosis and PCOS mm -hmm. um, because they're so common and I didn't want the course to just be like really a hyper normalization of being like, this is what a period should be like. This is your dream period and everyone should aim at this. It's really inclusive of different experiences of a, a menstrual cycle and um, so I've included like what you might expect to see on a fertility awareness chart if you have PCOS and what you might expect to see on it if you have endometriosis. And those were things that I had to do quite a lot of research and sort of hypothetical thinking around because I couldn't find that much when it comes to endometriosis um, and the charting things. I think that the research there is relatively new. Okay interesting and do you think um the information that you provided will help people to sort of overcome these issues um yeah i think that actually a lot of them they're giving people like the tools to be able to cope with things if they are not solvable but the course is really there to help give people tools to resolve a lot of these issues because I think that a lot of them um, are the result of ignoring periods and actually if we listen to our bodies and get more in tune with what it's asking us in terms of our lifestyle and our diet then a lot of these period problems just disappear because really my belief is that periods shouldn't be shit Sorry if I if you're not allowed to swear. <laughs> yeah, they, they just shouldn't be, be terrible, and people think that, that it's okay for them to be. 
and it's not okay for everyone to think that. Yeah, I think it, it shows like some kind of imbalance somewhere in your system or in you yeah. as a whole. There's a nice book about it called The Fourth Fourth Vital Sign or Seventh Vital Sign, I don't know. Is like should be considered as important as a blood pressure for women's health in terms of telling what your overall health is doing. Okay, that's interesting. I'm going to look that book up. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember if it's the fourth or fifth vital sign, something like that. Um, do you have any like any tips that you could share just now that might help people just, I know it's going to be quite general, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I can do something general. I think that, um, that the number one thing everyone should do is to um, start to understand when they're likely to be premenstrual and book some time out in their calendar to do something that's just for them so um if you know that you're due you know in a couple of weeks time put in your diary i used to do this put in your diary do nothing <laughs> on this day and it would be like a day where i knew that i wasn't going to do anything for everybody else basically but it could be really simple. It could be like having a nice bath. It could be painting your nails. It could be eating some nice chocolate. Like anything, anything that you enjoy. A run, anything. Great. That sounds good. That's <laughs> <laughs> something quite doable as well. Nothing too strenuous, really. <laughs> no, but just the act of having to think when that time is going to be and mark it in your calendar is a massive step in the right direction and it's been shown that people who chart the symptoms that they are having along with their cycle it improves their symptoms just because they can understand that it's a cyclical thing mm -hmm. and and um, are you walking people through this on your course so people can asking ask questions and i presume are we, you doing like dietary changes and yeah so on the um four-week course I have like little cheat sheets that tell you about what kind of dietary changes might help with different problems. Like if you had pain, then increasing your anti-inflammatories could help and what kind of foods that would include. So we do cover foods. We touch on foods, um, but I don't focus on them. I focus mostly on stress and on herbs. Okay. And do you have any tips on herbs that people might be able to include? Yeah, I think everybody could work with Lady's Mantle. Um, it's a women's tonic. It has really no contraindications. So whether you're on a drug or not, it wouldn't really matter. Um, it's a women's herb that helps with period pain and um, irregularities. It helps with uh, really heavy periods in particular, but also has been shown to improve fertility and potentially um, increase uh, blood when you have a very light period. So it's a really balancing. Um, and I think that it's a herb that everyone can work with. It has a lot of folklore around it to do with, um, so Lady's Mantle comes from the name of the Virgin Mary's cloak was a mantle and her disciples would uh, be safe underneath it. And so, the herb is really like a cloak of armor for any woman and um, it helps you to get more in touch with your womb center again and understand that it's a part of your body it's really important and how to look after it. But it's Alchemilla vulgaris um, that you would want medicinally. 
and you can take it as a tincture or a tea quite like it as a tea it's got kind of fruity astringent taste um you probably would have to get it from someplace like Neil's Yard Remedies, Baldwin's. I know a shop in Faversham called Apotheca that would probably have it. Yeah. I've been listening to your podcast as well, actually. I really, I know you stopped doing it now, but I really yeah. enjoy listening to you chatting to people about um, the herbs. Ah, I did. Yeah. People still <laughs> like listen to it and really enjoy it. It's nice. I'm glad that I still pay for it to be there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, is there anything else that you want to say about your book? Um, not particularly. I feel like we've covered a lot. It's like, it's not very expensive. It's on my, you can buy it from my website. You can buy it on Amazon and you can buy it through the publishers. But if you buy it off my website, then I get like, I get like 50% of the money. Whereas if you buy it off Amazon, I get like a pound. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So put that in like in perspective as a writer, I you know, you don't necessarily get paid to write your book in the first place and then yeah, it makes a massive difference if you can buy it direct from somebody's website. Okay, so do you want to give us your details where everyone can buy the the products, the book and the course? <laughs> Yeah, so if you go to Forage Botanicals, Forage is in foraging for foods, Botanicals is in plants, uh, .co.uk, then you'll be able to get everything that I make on there. And it's all handmade in my house and sent to your homes. <laughs> Thank you for spending time and talking to me. <laughs> no, it's been a pleasure.